0: Good morning, Victor Church, how you doing? All of you online joining us, I hope you're in your third cup of coffee now, you're in your comfy clothes, you got your feet kicked up. Uh, it is good to be back in my house. This is my home church and I love being here. Even though uh, last week's view was a little different, uh, when pastor was done preaching, I texted him a, screen, a, a, a photo of, of where I went to church last week, which was about... 12 yards from where the water was coming up on the beach. It was vacation time. I would have shown you the picture. I just didn't want to evoke any coveting in the house today. It, last week, I wasn't mad at what the Lord had done in my life. Can you say amen? Like, come on, Jesus. I'm listening to the pastor launch a brand new series. My, my toes are in the sand. All is good with the world. And every time I walk back in here, uh, especially today, I was kind of mixed emotions this idea of it's good to be in a room full of people that are worshiping and love Jesus, uh, but then at the same time you look around, you see the mask and you see the social distancing, and, and I'm 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 back into that reality of the world we live in, and uh, I, I was uh, uh, wanted to say always, I am so grateful for our pastor. I am so grateful that he is not just my pastor. He is my dear friend. He's a mentor. He is a deep friend. And uh, we've done life together now for, for almost a decade, and it has just been one unbelievable moment after another of wisdom. He and, and, and Sharon have just led with such class and poise over all of the years. Uh, would you give it up for our pastor and just say your, your appreciation as they're off this weekend? I love it. I love it. Well, uh, we're we're continuing in the series, isn't it time? And when they gave me the topic, it, it was this: Isn't it time to end discouragement? Isn't it time to end discouragement? And I'm going. Well, I've never really preached this passage out of Haggai, and I'm going discouragement. And and when I started to get into the to the to the topic to the message, I begin to realize real quickly. There are so many similarities of what happened to this group of people and to what's happening with us and having kind of the rug pulled out from under you. And so let's just start with this. By definition, discouragement is this losing heart. It's a loss of your confidence. It's a loss of your passion. It can also mean that anyone or anything is attempting to prevent something by showing disapproval or creating difficulties. Now I'm gonna tell you right now, discouragement comes in all sorts of forms. Any runners in the room? Anybody here, you enjoy to run? You know what I love the most about running? It's passing people. I don't know what it is about me when I, was, when I, when I did triathlons, swimming, cycling. There's something that happens in my wiring when I get to pass somebody. Like I, I perform at another level. So I was on vacation this last week and was out for a run, finishing up a five-mile run, and lo and behold, I see in front of me two mere mortals. Two men out for a run in the morning, and I, in my, instantly in my head I said, I'm going to chase you down. And when I pass you, you're going to know you've been passed by an athlete, and I'm coming. They have no idea who I am, you know, it's just how I'm wired. I didn't say I was perfect, you gotta forgive me, but this is who I am. So I take off and I run them down and I go past them. I don't wanna make eye contact. I don't wanna look at them. I just want them to know, there I go. And I pass them 30 seconds, 45 seconds later, I'm, I can see where we're staying. I'm almost done with my run and I'm feeling like, baby, I cannot wait to tell my wife, I am record time here. And right when I'm thinking these thoughts, a glimmer comes out of my, my right eye, and there's somehow someone let a gazelle loose on the road. This man smoked me, and he ran by me. Is a third runner, and apparently he was stalking me as I was stalking them, and he just stole all of the passion and the enthusiasm, and all that I had had on the mountaintop has now been crushed by this single guy who was coming by. He must have been an Olympic runner. I don't know. He was flying by me, and I'm just looking at this going, you know what? Discouragement takes all sorts of shapes and forms, but I went from the mountaintop to the valley in about 45 seconds, and it's probably just the Lord checking my ego because I'm not that fast in the first place. But it's good to be with you this morning, but in all seriousness, when I started to get into this study, uh, it became pretty obvious pretty quick that um, I needed to hear this it became pretty obvious pretty quick that this message was for me. And that's not always the case. I believe that you ever, you ever been there where you've gotten into God's word and you started just doing what you know to do and you're seeking God's face and the next thing you know, he kind of reveals some things about you and he pulls that off and goes, hey, I've been wanting to talk to you about this and now that you've read it, I want to adjust your attitude a little bit. And the more that I read, and the more that I studied, the more I, I, I began to feel the Lord dealing with me about, hey, I want to adjust your perspective a little bit, Chris. I want to to speak into your life, and I want to change how you handle challenges that you've been facing. And so this morning, I'm going to invite you to just maybe even listen in as I talk to myself. But I think in the world in which we live right now, where everything is disheveled, everything is disrupted, all of the questions from education to business to finance to this, the normalcy that we once have known is still all up in the air. I believe that all of us in this moment, in this season, have the idea and understand what it means to face some challenges. There have been times that I wasted time wandering in discouragement rather than leaning in to God's promises and his victory. Challenges will always confront us. I was, been, been, was working with a, 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 an up and coming leader, he's been with me for several years now. We were in the office a couple of weeks ago and uh, I'm that kind of guy that when you look at, at, at news reports, I kind of throw my hands up every once in a while and go, God, really? You're gonna do this? Like the first tropical depression that, that they showed up for hurricane season, literally, like I'm, I'm watching the news and then I'm going, okay God, you want me to deal with a pandemic and a hurricane? Is this what we're doing now? That's kind of my mentality, and this young man's been working with me for a few years now. We've been through some things, and we were talking the other day, and and it took me until I'm 48 years old to kind of get my mind around this idea, you know what, challenges are never going to go away. There's no moment that God ever said, I'm going to give you a prolonged period where I'm going to just let you coast, and everything's going to be smooth, and I'm going to make your life easy. It's not about moving out of challenges, it's how I respond to them. And I remember telling this young man, I said, challenges are never going to leave us. It's how you and I respond to them that will determine who we are and who Christ has called us to be. And I believe today, as we look into scripture, maybe you have been experiencing what I'm talking about. Last week, Pastor laid it out perfectly where these people came back from exile and things weren't what they thought. Things weren't what they expected. I remember a professor at Southeastern years ago. We were processing some things. And Dr. Larry Hazelbaker, I've never forgotten what he said. It's almost 10 years ago now. And I I was just, I said, hey, I thought things would be different. I didn't expect to have these types of challenges. And he goes, Chris, the clinical definition of anxiety is when reality and expectation don't line up. And what I heard last week from pastor, the people of Israel had an expectation, but reality didn't actually line up. And some of you may be experiencing that in your own life today. You're here. The things in your marriage aren't exactly what you thought they would be. Things because of COVID. You've had to make some decisions in your business or you've been affected by some of those decisions. You're going, man, I'm not really sure how we're going to get through this or how we're going to survive this. This isn't what I thought 2020 would be. And when I looked at this passage, I knew that there were some things that were in there that could help you and I navigate moments and seasons of discouragement. So what makes discouragement so dangerous is that it wants to hang around. Discouragement is the pathway to depression Right? So the discouragement, when we begin to give in to it, we begin to listen to it, we begin to, to, to acknowledge these feelings that, man, things aren't what I thought they would be. And the next thing you know, you're believing that, you're making a list of, oh, well, God, here's why I can't do what you called me to do, or I can't be who you've called me to be because of these things. And see, discouragement doesn't want to be a momentary thing. It wants to be a cycle by which you live, And you live with these limitations when God said, no, I made you more than a conqueror. I'm the one that breathed life in you. I'm your provider. I'm the one who can make a way where there seems to be no way. So the most dangerous thing about discouragement for you and I is for us to give it a place to stick around. See, everybody's going to face discouragement. No one's immune from it. It's how you and I respond to it that determines who we are and who Christ is in our life. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a look at a couple of passages of Scripture. I think we can see three clear areas with the children of Israel and how they were faced with discouragement. And in the midst of this, I believe the Lord lays out for us how we're supposed to respond. When moments and seasons of discouragement face us as his children, as his creation, He says, here is what I want you to do. So let's take a look. First is this. Pastor explained it last week. They experienced the discouragement of resistance. The people of Israel attempted to obey. They came back. They came back into the land. They said, all right, we'll rebuild the temple. But history tells us that two things took place. One, they were constantly harassed by the Samaritans. They were constantly confronted by these these neighbors that were challenging them both physically and in the court system. And then on top of that, they're coming out of exile. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of resources. And when the pressure of resistance, both physically from a a foe and virtually from, from an economic standpoint, they folded. And the discouragement of resistance is when you and I give way and we let go of what God has called us to do because we don't believe it can be done. You ever been in that moment? You ever had a season where God called you to do something and the moment you started to take a step towards it, all hell broke loose on you? Man, I'm just telling you, here's what I've realized. Most of the things that God called you and I to do aren't easy Most of them aren't even possible without his help and his provision. And so when reality and expectation don't line up, what if I adjusted my attitude and said, okay, God, you've called me to lead this group. You've called me to step into this position of authority. You've called me to step into this position of service. I should expect all hell to come against me. I remember early on in ministry, I called my pops who just retired a couple years ago. He was listening on the first service uh, preaching is one of the things, my dad's a pastor uh, and, and is one of the most godly men I've ever met in my life. And so anytime I preach, I, I love to talk, call in beforehand and after and just talk shop with him. Hey, pop, I'm preaching out of Haggai and here's what I'm thinking about, I'm talking about. And it never ceases to amaze me. He'll go, what did you think about this, son? You know, this text is right. And I'm like, well, you're like a walking, just mentor. It's just unbelievable what he brings to the table but he always had this phrase to me. I'd call him in ministry, and I'd say, Pop, I said, Pop, this is just, this is driving me crazy. We're facing this problem and this problem, and, he, and he'll start laughing. I'm like, hey, Pop, did you not hear what I just said to you? I'm going through a tough time, and his giggle would get a little louder. I'm like, can you help me what you're laughing at? He goes, oh, son, if the devil wasn't shooting at you, that would mean you weren't doing anything worth him noticing. He said, you must be doing something for the kingdom if the enemy's coming after you. If you and I, as the people of God, can position our mindset to go, I'm going to serve at Victory Church. I'm going to serve my community. And I know I'm going to face resistance from that. But what happened to the people of Israel, they said the price is too much. And pastor did a masterful job last week of talking about taking the easy road rather than the hard road. But what if you and I, the moment we were faced with resistance, we didn't start making a list of why not, We didn't start backing up and saying, let let me reevaluate my position. What if our next step forward was to fall to our knees? And we begin to call out to the God who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That I'll give you everything that you've ever needed. All you have to do is call out to me. What if our response to the discouragement of resistance was a posture of prayer? Church, I think that that would radically transform how you and I navigate this world. We waste so much energy complaining and picking and and whining about things we can't change outside of heaven itself answering us. Man, I believe that the posture of prayer is the way that we respond appropriately to the discouragement of resistance. It also reminds me of this. God never promised you and I an easy road. So when your marriage gets hard, Stay the course. When your call gets difficult, stay the course. You want to know what I've learned after all these years in ministry? This is what I've I've picked up. The person who sticks it out the longest wins the most. The ability for you to put your feet in the ground and go, I will not give up one inch to the enemy because my God has not left me. He is standing beside me and I will not give one inch to the Listen, I, I'm dealing with people right now whose kids have gone off the deep end, who've broken their mom's heart and there's nothing I can say to fix that in that moment. Mark, you know exactly, you, just, you have a front row seat to family calamity and you and of yourself can't fix any of that And yet as men and women of God, we have an obligation to look at them and go, hey, I can't make you feel any better, but here's what I know. Put both feet down and begin to pray and begin to call out to God because only God can bend a person's heart. Only God can draw someone back home. And I'll never forget being the recipient of that my entire life. And until this day, I called my pop this morning. I said, what are you doing, Dad? He said, I'm out on the back porch praying. I'm out on the back porch reading scripture. Mom, dad, the Lord knows all the pain that you've gone through. Husband, wife, that infidelity that you're wrestling with right now. Those problems that you have of, of the chemistry in your marriage and how tough it is. Here's my word for you today. Don't run away. Lean in. When the discouragement of, of resistance hits you, don't back up. Lean in. and Begin to pray. And begin to ask God. The second piece of discouragement that we see, and when I say these people had a reason to whine, they really did. Verse six uh, says this. Well, the second, I'm gonna give you the second one. The second one is the discouragement of disobedience. The discouragement of disobedience. So listen, listen to what verse six he says, You have planted much but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. How many of you have accused your husband or wife of doing that before? Man, you got a hole in your wallet, where's our cash at? There was this posture of these people that no matter what they did, there was no satisfaction. There was no harvest that was coming. There was no clothes that could keep them warm, no food that could satisfy them. I mean, the idea of this economic system was turned on its head because when the crops were bad one year, it would affect the next year, and it would affect the next year. And to break that cycle, these people were living in certain hell. Anybody relate? Your livelihood feels uncertain? (laughs) Nothing right now? can really placate the anxiety that you have over this pandemic and how it's affected you and your family or the situation that you're in except for these people it was a discouragement of disobedience that had stolen their heart because see this is not popular anymore and, and i don't hear a ton of this but what do you call it when god tells you to do something and you don't do it It's sin, isn't it? It's just three three letters, right? It's sin. It doesn't matter how hard it was or what your reasoning was. If God put a task before you and you said no, you took the easy way out, there are repercussions for sin. Is there not? Because a lot of what I'm hearing and seeing is, is a God who is all candy canes and hugs and, and kisses. And I'm, I'm all for grace. I'm with all of that. But here's what I know. It was the misery of my sin that brought me back in and, and response to the kindness of the cross. It was the misery of my sin and my brokenness that made the light of the gospel shine that much brighter when I saw this is what my life could be. And what's interesting about this it's this, dis- this discouragement of disobedience as they were living with the paycheck of their decision. And so here's a thought. As I was reading through these two chapters, it said over and over again, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. What if reflection was the pathway to encouragement? Now just hear me out for a second. What if when things start to get sideways for you and, and life is, is, is tough? It doesn't always mean you've done something or you haven't done thing. It just means things happen, right? But for me, part of the reflection process is when things start to shift and the challenges continue to come, one of the first things that I ask is, God, is, is there anything in me that you're trying to expose? Maybe like David, search my heart, oh God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. The idea of leaning into God in moments of trial and going, Lord, search me, for if I am one step outside of where you want me to be or where you've called me to be, Lord, if you'll convict me, I'll respond appropriately. God, I'll do what you've called me to do. And this idea of losing your passion and losing your enthusiasm, these people couldn't see a way forward. They couldn't see what was going to happen Because they were living in the cycle of discouragement brought about by their disobedience. How many times have we missed what God wants for us because we failed to make the right decision? So if you have your Bible, turn to verse 11. And I think this is interesting. Y'all still with me? I know I talked about sin and our responsibility. That gets crunchy. You got to love me. Verse 11 is very interesting. And, it's, it, and I don't think it's a very popular view. But let's read it together and you tell me if I'm reading this wrong. Verse 11 of chapter 1 says this, I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and on the labor of your hands. That's a message from who? So so could we could could we deduce that when we're living in disobedience that God not only is not just displeased with us but actually could remove his hand from us in order to get our attention? The Bible says in James that God gives grace to the proud but he opposes or grace to the humble but opposes the what? The proud. In this moment, Haggai's honest with him and he says the Lord's opposing you. He's trying to get your attention to tell you he's enough to do what he's called you to do. And this is what I love as you continue to read on in verse 12, 13, and 14. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. This is one of the most powerful passages, I believe, in, the, in, in this, this book. I am with you, declares the Lord. What I love about this is so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of of the lord almighty their god how do you deal with the discouragement of disobedience you repent you obey and you get to work that's that's it this idea that when the lord checks us and goes hey chris you're operating outside of where i've called you to you're operating beyond what i've asked of you I just want you to adjust. Man, the response to deal with that, to get back to your passion, to get back to this sense of purpose, is to go, God, I got it. Any other, any other people in this room uh, struggle with admitting certain things? Let me, let me just give you an example. This is what years of therapy has helped me to be able to say. You ready? Here it comes. I was wrong. No, no applause for that. Are you, are you? How many of you in here? That's a big deal for you to say that, right? Because you know I'm kidding. But how many of you are like that? Like the last thing I'm going to do is to admit I, I was I was I was wrong, right? So yesterday I I uh, I'm in the process of building a home gym, right, and so. Uh, For those of you that that know me and been around me, I've lost about 32 pounds since January. Uh, My wife and I celebrated 25 years of marriage last year, and those photos are on scroll in our kitchen. And every time I see them, I look at her and I said, baby, I'm so sorry I ruined every picture of our time in Hawaii. You married a porpoise, and I'm so sorry, right? And so I've been on this journey of just being healthy and working out. So we're in the process of building a gym at the house, all right? So we need a shed so I can get... Uh, stuff out of the garage to get the gym so we go and buy a shed and my wife tells me she goes "Well, what kind of foundation are you going to do I said babe I'm just gonna put it on the dirt it's just a temporary shed just put it on the dirt oh no it'll crack the floor I don't want that we, we won't you just put it on pavers the babe's not gonna work if we put it on pavers there's nothing to tie it down to it just won't work and in my head, I'm like, I'm the man here. I build stuff. I've got the tools. Don't tell me what kind of foundation we're going to put down. So then I start going through this process of, well, if it's not going to be pavers, what's it going to be? Next thing I know, I'm at Lowe's. I've got marine plywood in my hand. I've got treated two-by-fours. I've got concrete uh, posts, that the uh, post hole, uh, you know, that I'm, 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 I'm measuring things out. And I'm doing, going through all of this work. And my wife comes around and she goes how tall is that going to be so what do you mean I said it's eight foot two she said that's going to be above the angle of the roof I, I, I don't want it there and I said well babe what do you want me to do she goes well let's go over our neighbor ha- our neighbor has the same exact shed we have let's go look and see what they did and in my mind I'm going why didn't you say this earlier we go over there and do you know what those jokers had put theirs on pavers Filthy neighbors put their shed on pavers, pavers! (laughs) And I looked at her, and instead of going, baby, you were right. She had this smirk. Woman, you know, every woman in the room, you know, you've had this smirk on your face before and every man never wants to see it. And we're in our driveway and she's giving me the look. And instead of looking back and going, I was wrong, you were right, all I could do is go, well, you could have said that earlier and walked away. And she just comes around and grins. Because that's all you got to say? I said, you were right. You were right. There's something about us of just admitting we're wrong. We blew it. When I teach young leaders, we, we say it this way. Hey, just own your junk. Own your stuff. When you make a mistake, don't waste your energy trying to cover it up. Sounds a lot like the Garden of Eden. Right? Why don't you just lean in and go, I blew it. I don't want to live in disobedience. God, would you forgive me? There's something powerful about that. And so they finally did uh, obey, right? And so our response to the discouragement of resistance is prayer. Our response to the discouragement of disobedience is pretty simple. Obey and get to work. Repent and turn from your ways. And so when you look at this, the third uh, and, and the final piece of what they said was was a a discouragement of comparison. And here's what's interesting to me. They obeyed the Lord, and it was almost like he knew what they were thinking. Not almost, he did. And in chapter 2, and in verse, uh, I think it's, uh, yeah, it starts with verse 1. We'll probably read verse 3. You see where God calls them out because they're getting to work on this, this temple, what they should have been doing all along. And they realize this is just a shell of what the former temple was like. It doesn't have anything near the glory, the, the, the splendor. What's going on? Why are we doing this? And this is what the Lord said to them in, in, in chapter 2 when they're struggling with this, this discouragement of comparison. He says, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? He calls them on exactly what they're thinking. But he says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. This is what I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. One of the greatest temptations that you and I have as just mere mortals is this idea of comparing ourselves to other people. Lord, haven't I served you for so long? It's not fair that that person gets this. Lord, but what about them? When's my day coming? And we make the mistake of looking to the left and to the right. Remember, I was in college and my brother in law was in a position uh, as, as a, as a uh, well, he, I, I won't say because it, it was in this town. He was in, he was in a position of influence. And, and someone was, was taking it away from him. He was being treated very, very unfairly. And as a college student, I mean, I'm a scrapper, so when I see injustice, I just won't fight. Let, let's confront the wrong and let's deal with this. And I remember going to him and I said, Jim, why don't you fight? Why, why aren't you saying something? These people are, are, are taking your, your career away from you. This isn't right. And I'll never forget, we're talking over three decades ago, I'll never forget when my brother-in-law looked at me in the eye and he goes, Chris, I'm not responsible for other people's actions, only my actions and my reactions. He said, I sleep well at night and my heart's pure. This idea that somehow someone else could steal God's plan away from you is juvenile. No man's ego will thwart God's plan for your life. Listen to me church, if you haven't heard anything else I say, the discouragement of comparison is a life of fear. Where's mine? Someone going to take it away from me. It's this scarcity mentality that God doesn't have enough for you, that God doesn't have a plan for you, that somehow God who created the heavens and the Earth, has a plan for you that's so fragile, that some person's ego, someone at work, could steal it, board it and somehow ruin your life. When you step back and you go, "Wait a minute." I'm a son of the Most High God. I'm a daughter of the Most High God. His plan for me won't be thwarted by a mere mortal. It will be when I hear from the Lord. He is faithful to bring it to completion. He started it and He will finish it. <laughs> Church, with all the unsettledness that we're going through, we waste time when we give up too quick. And I don't know why I'm saying this, but I'm, it, it, I didn't say it this many times in the first service. Don't stop fighting for your marriage. Don't stop fighting for your marriage. Yeah, but you don't know. You don't know what he's done. You don't know what she's done. No, I don't know. And I don't have a guarantee it's going to work out well for you. But here's what I have learned from personal experience. When I give up one time, it's easier to give up the next time. And when the Lord looks at me, I want him to say, hey, that didn't work out the way you planned, but you gave it everything you got. You stood your ground. You loved, you fought for what I value, for what you value. Church, we quit way too quickly. Don't let the discouragement of resistance have you forfeit God's plan for your life. The idea of disobedience, every person in this room, we ebb in and out of God's plan for our life. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. But what it can't control is you bending a knee and going, Lord, I got to own that. I know you already know it, but I don't want anything between you and I. Every time, I usually sit down here with Dan, both service today, I sit up there and I look out at you and I go, Lord, I don't deserve to be here. I'm not preaching today because I've mastered everything. I'm preaching to myself today. So Lord, if there's anything in me, would you cover me? Would you forgive me? Lord, would you let your grace point it out to me that I can fix it? And then that's, that's not just when I speak, that's a daily thing. Man, if you and I would just resist the discouragement of disobedience and go, God, I just simply want to do what you've called me to do. Let me be about that. And we refuse to compare ourselves. <laughs> I think those are three things, man, that you and I can do, and we can say, No, I'm done. I'm done being a victim of discouragement. I'm not gonna lose my passion anymore. I'm not gonna circle around feeling sorry for myself. I'm not gonna live in the repercussions of disobedience. I'm gonna walk the life that God planned for me to walk. So here's the question, Chris. You said we were gonna end discouragement. How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. I think there's four words that the Lord uses in this chapter, in this book, he's used them twice. I think it's the big idea that we all rally around. I think it's—I think it's—it's—it's it, it's, it's the one thing that Lord says: if you'll get this right, everything else will make sense to you. If you remember when He said, "Zerubbabel, be strong; Joshua, be strong; people of Israel, be strong and go to work." Why? I am with you. Four words that will revolutionize your life as a Christ follower is those four words, He is with me. When you grab a hold of that then discouragement has no place in your life. Why? Because the maker of heaven and earth will never leave you nor forsake you. He's traveling along beside of you. God is gonna give you what you need to make it through. And when you make mistakes, he gives grace and he gives forgiveness. And when you start to compare yourself to other people, he goes, no, 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 no. You're a unique expression of me that doesn't exist anywhere else on the planet. I made you a one of a kind. Stop trying to be like somebody else and try my plan on, I promise you'll find peace and contentment. If you're here this morning and this whole thing has got you sideways and the uncertainty of this world has brought about discouragement, you don't have to hold on to that. Simply lean in to those four words. Make them your own. You are with me. Doesn't mean that your problem is going to go away. It means he'll give you the strength that if he wants to take it away, you'll celebrate him. But if he doesn't, you're going to walk right through it because he's with you the entire way. Church, would you stand to your feet today? I want to give us the opportunity to say no to discouragement and yes to the presence of God. Man, if you're here And you're in this room, you say, Chris, I just need prayer. This whole thing, life is disheveled. Things are sideways. I don't know how my business is going to make it. Whatever it may be, you said, I have been living in worry and doubt. I've been giving up with the resistance. If that's you and you say, I I don't want that anymore. I want God to to deliver me from discouragement. Lift your hand right now. We're going to pray together. If you're at home, don't be ashamed. Lift your hand on the couch. Let your family know they can pray for you while we're doing it. Hey, let's lift our voice right now. And if you're there, here's all you've got to declare. God, I know you are with me. Lord, let me walk into that reality. Let's pray it right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, what would it look like if Victory Church leaned in and said, Lord, we know that you are with us. God, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. That God, you would never put us in a position that you would walk away and just let us flounder. God, this morning, we lift up those in this church, God, that are struggling with discouragement. They're circling in it. God, we just pray in the name of Jesus, God, give them the strength to call out to you Lord, to make a way where there seems to be no way. God, give them the strength to repent and get to work, Lord, on what you've called them to do. God, give them the strength to resist comparing anyone else and recognize you have made them, God, in your image. Father, today we commit ourselves to you afresh and anew. God, would you grant us, Lord, a peace that passes all understanding, a strength that carries us through, and God, a faith that knows our God has a plan for us. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said amen.
1: is the that the shadows can Thank you for joining us. We pray that you will join us next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. God bless you. Go in peace.